Welcome to the OME Talks Podcast. I'm your regular host, David Petro. I say regular because this is the second episode of Coding in the Classroom. The segment is produced by Ian Brody and Beza Sazer and is the companion piece to the column of the same name in the quarterly OME Gazette. In this episode, Ian interviews Diane Tapillo, who, among other things, teaches coding for teachers at Ontario Tech University. So let's get right to it. Welcome to the audio version of Coding in the Classroom, our column in the OME Gazette. Beza and I are seeking out teachers across the province of Ontario to talk to them and learn how they are using computational thinking for learning in their classrooms. We're very fortunate today to have Dan Tapillo with us here to talk about how they have uh, been training the, the coding teachers of the future. So, Diane, could you just introduce yourself a little bit for us, please? I'm Diane Tapillo. Uh, computers came into my high school in grade 12, and I took my first programming course then, but never ever touched it again till for 20 years until I started teaching it. At high school, I had moved in. I wanted a job. They said, could you teach this programming class? And I had been good in that one programming class in high school. I said, sure. And then I started learning how to code. So taught uh, programming computer science in high school for about 15 years. Uh, I had lots of questions about math teaching. So I'm also a secondary math teacher and went and did a, a master's and a PhD in math, science and tech education. And this was just graduating, just finishing up as uh, efforts started about bringing coding into the Ontario curriculum started to come up. And so I got excited and started teaching uh, coding for teachers at Ontario Tech University. Great. And so you, you have like a quite a long view of how coding has come to the curriculum, come to, come to Ontario. So what, can you tell us what it was like uh, just those early high school classes? Well, the high school classes I taught in a very small town in a small high school. And often we had students come into the coding class, the programming class that didn't really want anything to do with um, with computer science, it's just that was the one elective that was available there. So I got very good at um, rationalizing why they should learn it. So both the big picture, you know, where you would use it in jobs that aren't in computer science and programming, you know, business, science, using thinking that computational thinking in using spreadsheets to calculate data, uh, all of that, but we also talked a lot about problem solving. And I, for years, uh, students would come back into the school, like students who was um, working for a music company and would be wiring up all equipment for shows and that he'd come in and talk about that problem solving process and how good that helped him in what his job just learning how to approach a problem systematically and thinking about the options changing one thing at a time all really good uh, skills that we want to develop in our coding classes yeah that's great our math it's, classes where we're teaching coding yes so yeah the, so how do you see that link uh, and why it's so important for us to 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 have the the coding in the in the elementary and now in the grade nine math well there's so many reasons um there's the economic reasons, which is one reason the government probably put it in the curriculum. We don't all need to be 
become programmers, but we need to know a little bit about it. We we don't all become writers when we learn to write, but we all learn to write to meet a, a, a range of jobs. So if we're thinking at the, a lot of universities were pushing um, for coding to be in secondary so that they can do activities, they can do labs where they're scouring the internet for data and then analyzing that data. But if we're looking at that elementary curriculum, um, equity point of view, we have um, research out there that says if students aren't exposed to coding before they're 14, they barely even think about it. So, you know, yeah. programming jobs are some of the best paying jobs. And even, I mean, a lot of jobs that aren't programming jobs, but require a little bit, there's work in the humanities, there all sorts of places require programming now. They're high paying, they're well sought after. So we wanna make sure that all students have that exposure to it, that opportunity yes. to learn, and that it's an enjoyable experience. That's what I'm finding is like the, the real draw. That we can re that um, like the the students that I get to work with all really enjoy doing the coding, and it's mm -hmm. uh, and it's for a bunch of different reasons. I wonder what why you think that it it hits it's such a big hit with little kids, with big kids, uh, even big I kids like me. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's many many reasons, and I, I feel like I have missed so many other uh, points about why to code. But we'll come back oh. to that. Um, we'll, get, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yes. So we have, I'm trying to make notes so I don't forget things I want to talk about. So one of the big things with um, these create these coding environments that are made for young children, Scratch Junior, Scratch, they're very open. Kids can be creative. They can create their stories and they have so much more control over that story because of coding than they do in something like um, something that makes those little podcasts or those little cartoon scripts um, I can't think of the name and that is my learning disability. So they have that control and um, they have choice. If we set this up right, we have that low floors, high ceilings and wide walls that uh, the idea started with Seymour Papert and then build with George Gadonitis to the wide walls. There's the choice, but you can set it up so there's very low floors, kids can feel successful and then the ones who who grasp it quickly, they have very high ceilings and they can just keep building and building and building. Yeah, and, and they want to build, which is the really yeah. nice part. Yeah. And, and I know, Ian, you and I have had conversations before about sometimes it's the students that, you know, you least expect the ones that maybe yes. aren't as engaged in school that engage in coding. Yes, yeah. I, I, I think it's because they get the instant feedback Yes. From, from like, you know, you click, you click run and you get to see if it worked. Yes. And, and if it doesn't, it's, it's not a big deal. You just have to go back and fix it. So, yeah. so. It's, and, and how do they yeah. learn if they're, um, you know, at Ontario Tech, you know, we are trying to balance, you know, those students, those teacher candidates that are, um, they want to just go play. Yes. And then there's ones that need a little bit more scaffolding because they're a little yes. bit nervous. And how do we balance those two? Uh, um, first, uh, first, I got a new first activity for Scratch. Oh, okay. So what I'm, you know, give them the file with a few things open that I want them to play yes. and give them a few specific challenges. Make the cat do a somersault. 
make the cat move across the screen, change the background and then go play. Yes. Because sometimes if you don't give them enough, it's like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. It's just a blank screen sitting there. You have to have something. Yes, like writing a story. So, you know, I tell them when I'm writing a story in Scratch or Scratch Junior, I start by looking at the backgrounds that are there and the characters are there because that gives me an idea of where to start because, you know, I like logic puzzles, but I, once I get started in a story, I'm, I'm really excited, but sometimes I need those prompts to get me started. And that's, we yeah. have the same thing with our, both students when I taught, taught students, but also um, pre-service teachers that are learning how to code. Yeah. And see, that's, you, you make a really important point because a lot of teachers uh, come up to, come to me right now and say, you know, how I, I need to code. And I said, well, what would you like to code? And they say, I just need to code. I said, well, you don't code just for coding's sake. You have to be coding something. So you have to have yeah. something in mind that you want to do that you can get a computer to do for you. Yeah. But you need to know what coding can do. Yes. You right. also need to know. So what, this yes. is why yes. more scaffolded at the beginning. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, you know, giving them small challenges and they figure out they can do it. They start get being inspired. What else could I do? Yes. Yeah. So, and the other big thing is the social element of these coding environments today Yes. Uh, that, you know, sharing their computers with the people beside them. If we're face to face, walking around the room, the sneaker share, right, where they walk yes. around, they see different people's um, ideas. And then they think, oh, how did you do that? So we become different students, become experts in the class, sometimes with tools I didn't even know existed online. We've done it in breakout rooms so that they're seeing and being inspired. So much like you share writing Mm -hmm. to inspire each other, uh, we can do that within the coding. We need to be careful at the beginning because, you know, someone may be really, really proud of their getting the cat to move across the screen. Yes. And then they see someone that's been coding for two years, you know, have the cats doing somersaults and changing back rooms. So we we don't want to, we want to celebrate all efforts. So we got to be careful how we share at the beginning. Yes. But they, like I said, that low floors, high ceilings and wide walls is so engaging. It, it makes people helps people feel successful and we just need to help them see things they can do because if you don't know tools exist you don't even know that you can can use that's, them. that's correct so one of the things that yeah. we're trying to do is provide those beginning activities to mm-hmm. still allow people to play yes still allow to, to explore but gives them some ideas what they what they can what they want to do yeah so this this whole idea of having starter code is really really a good one so that 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 way you know so some people will just go into the blank screen yes i know what i want to do i want to be able to do x but you can mm-hmm. but but we can do a little bit of the uh little bit of the thinking for them and give them like some of the blocks to help them start out or you know give them mm-hmm. a code that does one thing but we want them to change it into something else mm-hmm. yes just to follow up on that starter code, yeah. just tying it into the curriculum, the read and alter code yes. is often a really good place to start. Yes. It, it's uh, easier to read and alter than it is to create from scratch. Yes. And, and, it's, and, so, it's, and it's understood in the coding community that you, you can do that. Yes. It, yes. It, so professionally, you, you know, I'm trying to think how many millions of lines of code are in something like Microsoft Word now. They don't go and rewrite it from scratch every time. No. They rewrite uh, subprograms. They rewrite yes. libraries. Yes. And then 
Um, so parts of it get changed at a time. It helps with the testing and all of those things. Yeah. So that that's the 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 idea of, you know, you, the, the way to one way to learn is to is to do the little tri trio of use, edit, create. Yeah. So after you've used something, you figure out how it works, you read it, you alter it, you start editing it, make it do things for you. And then then you then you get the idea later is like that you've got that idea later for when you might need it. With the, no, with the use, edit, create cycle, when yes. we're giving code. So at the beginning, you know, just even a few blocks, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit later, when we start giving a bit more complicated code, because some of those math concepts we can play like probability, uh, patterning, those things that we can do with coding to give feedback and have students develop intuitive understandings and concepts. If we give them too long of code, it, it's, it's challenging to start yes. with. So one of the things I... I, I I liken it to, you know, going from picture books to war and peace. We've got to be careful. Yes, yes. So a couple of the activities that we've been doing um, in my class is in small groups of reading the code and commenting it, putting comments in there, or even a printout of the code and writing down what things do. So yes. if that's, yeah. that, that is the first stage before using, help the group, helps them understand the code. And even if they know what every block is, does individually, it's still that bit harder to put all the pieces together yes because sometimes the blocks will change the further on blocks because of yes yes yes, yes. and order. again it's just the yeah. sheer amount of reading yes yes and again yeah. things that are obvious to me because i've been doing this now for 20 some years are not obvious to my students yes that's absolutely yeah. true yeah mm -hmm. uh and sometimes they've come sometimes I, I find the opposite as well so i've had oh yeah it was like they said and like they would come and say well you know why don't you just use these two blocks instead of those 14 and it was like oh you're right mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah so it's it's really Great neat play to, to talk about efficiency yes and, and different ways of problem solving and debugging um all really really important skills uh, the, yep. and efficiency is not just fewer blocks, although often no. if there's fewer blocks, it's more efficient, but not yes, necessarily. No. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so efficiency <laughs> is all based on how many steps the computer has to take. And yes. sometimes it's obvious. We can see that there are all sorts of calculations you do on the computer science side at university. Yes. Uh, we don't need to worry about those in elementary school, but we just need to think about that idea of efficiency, saving your battery on your phone if the code is written more efficient because it doesn't have to do as many calculations. Yes. Yeah. And, and, that, you know, and that's not the kind of coding that, that the students are learning. They're actually learning a, a, a coding to learn kind of code. Yes. So it's, it's, it's school coding. So mm. it's, it's, although they could take everything that they learn can be used uh, mm -hmm. to, to, to do like real programming as well. Yeah. And yeah. if you look at that, you know, K to eight curriculum, it really does move them through computer science concepts. Yes. So by the time they're finished grade eight, they hopefully have a sense of those basic computer science concepts that if they just choose and, and hopefully motivated to take some more computer science at the, at the high school level yes. and uh, build their skills and continue yes. to... Uh, yeah. And so in that, in that way, they become uh, they come they become computationally literate as well. Yes. So so they know that like programs can only do so so many things. So they might not trust an AI quite as much as you know other people might because they know how they're made. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Which is, you know, that's... It'll be interesting. I fully expect that coding will show up in other curriculums as they are uh, updated. And it'll be interesting to see conversa if conversations of AI come up anywhere, because that's such an important consideration. Yes, it is. Uh, to know what they can do, to know how they were t tested and what their limitations are. Yes. Yeah. And what, what are the assumptions that go into creating this model of, uh, of an intelligence? Yes. Oh, just so many things to talk about. So yes. if we look at the um, C3.1, that first expectation yes. for coding in the math curriculum, it talks about solving mathematical problems or creating mathematical representations. Yes. Well, that's modeling. Yes, it is. So, I mean, coding is one of the tools we can use to do this. Yeah. I know uh, I often will, and I know Ian, you have the same thing, start with the code for flipping a dice, yes. a coin, a coin, or flipping coin. a coin. Sure. Yeah. And the students can model experimental prob probability. What happens is if I flip it two times, how often does it get near that th theoretical probability of half heads and half tails? Not very often. Yes. And then if you, you know, 100, 10,000, when are you routinely getting really close to a half? But then the model is, okay, can you do it for a six-sided dice? Can you change the code? Yes. And or two or dice. <laughs> can you model a situation? Uh, when I was teaching data management in high school, I would have my students model um, juries that were how many males and females oh, were popular yes. and, and racial makeup. Yes. Yeah. And, and it, it's really surprising because – that intuition where probability often fails us is we're thinking, well, if 50% of the population is male and 50% is female, then my jury should be half and half. But when we start doing it, testing it with computers and, you know, doesn't happen all the time. in the probability world, they can start to see, well, there's a range that is still considered normal. And then at what point do we think this is so abnormal that we're going to say it's, it's, it's wrong. Yeah. So we're setting up the, <clears throat> the stage for um, statistical tests, yes. building that intuitive yeah. understanding of statistical and, tests. And when you can do something, like when you can run those trials like 10,000 times and you see what the results are, it's really surprising. And I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to tell anybody what it is because I want them to go out and try and code that for themselves. Even just, even just doing flipping a coin. It's, you know, Ian, I'm going to ask you to share the website for teachers that we've created. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Tech, yes. Put it in the bottom of the article. So we've yes. created a website for teachers learning to teach coding that has, you know, some recommendations about the um, where to start, some little activities to get you start. It's trying to do micro lessons, micro lessons and play, micro lessons and play. Uh, with some samples there so you can see what it looks like, activities you could take in when do with your classes. Yes. But again, to help, trying to lower the learning curve because there's so many choices out there. We're in that website. We've, we've selected where we think are, where the best places are to start. We're finding with our, our pre-service teachers so that you know, they can focus on the computational thinking and not, uh, Worry so much about the coding. focus on the connections yeah. to the math yes. and not get bogged down in all the possibilities. Yes, I know it's it's a fabulous website, 
and and everybody should go to it. Absolutely, it's it's got everything you could possibly want and or need. Uh, uh, Diane has definitely uh, anticipated what you might need uh, to start yourself off on coding. So I really encourage it, and we'll put we'll put a link uh, in the notes, and mm -hmm. we'll put a link and we'll put a link into the um, into the uh, into the article as well. Sometimes in coding, something's not working. Yes. And you don't know, you can't figure out the logic seems good. Often deleting it, uh, coming back, like deleting that section of code that's not working, typing it in again, pulling the blocks in again, it works. Yes. And it happens once or twice a year that nobody can see why it's not working. We think we put the exact same thing there and now it works. Yeah. So again, it's, you know, the technology is wonderful. But it does have its its quirks. Yeah, and that's that's one of the the things that I, I I know you like to use in your classroom too is that aspect of debugging. Yes. As you know, and using debugging to actually teach as opposed to just to fix. Well, it's hard when you're creating your own projects to run across common problem. You don't necessarily run across them, um, and sometimes they're. So how do we set it up that students are learning to problem solve? We, as teachers, when I started programming, teaching programming in secondary, I had students that knew more about programming than I did. They knew more about the, the and we had to memorize all the code, the, the syntax and everything at that time. But I could always help them problem solve. So how do we do that? Um, so one thing I started doing is creating activities and creative computing has some great debugging activities that start with common things that go wrong. Like yes. um, uh, you have two different characters, one is running, the other one's not. Yeah. Well, A, did you put code on that second one? Because each character, each sprite in something like Scratch or Scratch Junior um, needs its own code. Does it need, does it have something that's going to make it start? And is it click on the green flag, which is common in Scratch Junior and Scratch? So those type of things that the creative computing has uh, some of those activities that help people go through it. Uh, Scratch Ed now has a website on debugging with a lot of strategies. We talk about those strategies, some that aren't in a lot of the um, any materials I've seen yet is the idea of how do we, we first we have to find where the problem is. Yes. <laughs> so often I will put, you know, if it was text-based coding, I'd put a print statement and then I just move it through the program until I find where it wasn't getting to the print statement. In right. Scratch or Scratch Junior, you just basically say a say button and yes. then not a, it's saying saved and it's a say, like a look yes. under look. A mm -hmm. button, um, it says, you know, say, I got to this, the problem's not here. And basically, you just move that line until it doesn't get there anymore. That's and then you can yeah. start to, once you know where the problem is, it's often much easier to find it. Yes. Uh, yeah. Another strategy, uh, my son just finished a, a, a program in game development. So he is the... He's the developer, the programmer on, on, on his team, you know, having, having a teddy bear on your table. It's explaining to your teddy bear 
what your okay. program's supposed to do. And it works as another person as well, right? Okay. So you're telling somebody what your program is supposed to do as you're looking at comparing that to what's happening. And okay. often as you're thinking about what your code is supposed to do, you find the mistake. Yeah. So you're, you're actually vocalizing it, like saying yeah, it out yeah. loud. You're vocalizing yeah. because it's easy to like writing. It's hard to find, yes. to edit your own work because you know what it's supposed to say. Yes. Vocalizing, um, comparing that to what the code actually says mm -hmm. and comparing related to vocalizing, I'll introduce the concept of pseudocode, yes. which is saying what the program is supposed to do in detailed English yes, or whatever language you happen to be teaching in. Yeah. And then comparing that to what's there. And it's a, just a really helps focus on that computational thinking. What are you trying to make it do? And is that actually what your code does? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's consistent with Vygotsky too, because the first check on understanding is, is being able to say it and say it mm -hmm. out loud. Yeah. yeah. And again, it just makes you focus harder on yes. what you want it to do. Coding is great in that students can guess and check. Instant feedback. Yes. But mm -hmm. often we want to encourage them to slow down and think, okay, let's think about what's going on in the card in the program. Where would it make sense for this code to be? So I have some activities that are comparing and contrasting code. Mm -hmm. And this is really important about where you're putting your code to, related to variables. So set a value often happens outside of a loop at the beginning of a program. Yes. Often, not always. Nope. Uh, the change of value often happens within, within a loop yes. or an if statement. Yes. So the activity that I have, which is on, will be on our website on Monday. Um, By the time this drops, it'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the contrast I have is I have students look at code written in Scratch using things that are variables that are built into, into Scratch. So this is something realized um, last year teaching online. I realized that the students did not think of things like changing the color and setting the color, uh, setting the X and Y as variables because it looks a little different than creating your own variable. So the first activity, one of the first activities before I move into variables is that to point out that these are variables and one with what happens if you put the set color in the loop and one where you put uh, the set color before the loop. Yes. What's different in the code? What difference does it make? Yes. Uh, and these activities have been really good in helping students figure out where to look. So as someone who's experienced in programming, certain errors, I, I, I know where to look. So the other day in class, first day of Scratch, someone's sprite has moved off the screen. I, well, someone's, scratch is, someone's sprite has disappeared. Yes. So there's two possibilities of what caused that from my experience, two main ones. Mm -hmm. One is they just moved it off the screen and it's just somewhere. Hiding off the side. Land. And the other one is they've actually hit the hide button yep. and hit it. So I just, you know, I explained what happened and right away she was able to get a, a go-to block and move it to a location. And that was the solution. Yeah. We also talked about the other one at the same time. So some yeah. of these this debugging happens 
organically in class. Yes. But if we can teach some of those skills that, oh, I have a problem I've never seen before, how might I figure out what's going on? And again, that the Scratch Ed site on, on getting unstuck is a good one, yeah. but it's practice. You learn to code by coding. Yes. <laughs> and I, I can't stress that enough with teachers. It's great to learn alongside your students, but it really does help to have some of those debugging strategies and even knowing where people sometimes get frustrated and where yes. they get stuck so yeah. that, you know, we can't prevent it, but we can help quickly help them move past it. Yes. Yeah. From math education, productive struggle is my favorite. Uh, oh, I love. Term. Yes. If and it's, if it's too easy, it's no fun. If it's too easy, you're not learning. Yeah. 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 So we don't want to take all the struggle away for our students, but we want to be able to ask them questions, prompts to help them problem solve. So they get that joy, that eureka moment. Yes, I figured it out. Yes. Um, by the way, walking away from your computer and coming back a day later is another great strategy for, for problem solving. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And, and then allowing for that to happen inside a classroom is very valuable mm -hmm. as well. So yeah. I know, I know that you encourage your students to be able to just like, okay, just drop it, just mm -hmm. drop it for a minute, come back to it. So, yeah. so it's, so yeah. part of that is also creating safe space for that to happen. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, since you have that, which is a really good strategy, incorporate that and then let them do it for other things as well. Yes. Because it works so, for a lot of things. Except you know, I, that, that reminds me, a lot of times I'm, as I'm talking to teachers who've coded a little bit now, is assessment. How do you assess? Yes. So how, that, that's a really good question. I, I would love to hear your take on this. We have tried many things at Ontario Tech. One of the things we're trying to do is, you know, we want that process. We know how important the process is. We want to ensure they're coding and we want to give them choice. So what we have done is we instituted a portfolio and they have to routinely put uh, links to their pictures or links to, depending on what environment uh, they're working with in their portfolio and reflect on process. Social emotional learning. We talk about social emotional learning in class, and I, we've found that students are less anxious about coding since we've started talking about frustration, uh, anxiety at the beginning are normal, and frustration through the process. You talk to professional programmers, they get frustrated, and then they just find a way to, to, to solve the problem. So making normalizing that is important. So in this portfolio, we have ongoing um, reflection, but then we've also found for teachers or, or pre-service teachers, it's important to have those uh, synthesis pieces, those consolidation yes. pieces. Yes. So we have a place where they have to synthesize what they've learned about problem solving, debugging, planning, all of that. Yeah. We ask them to take some examples from their, their ongoing reflections and put them in the categories that are in the Ontario curriculum yes. so that they learn that terminology because it's not self-evident if you've never coded before, if you've never had that experience. I actually like to not introduce the terminology until they've coded for three weeks. Yes. Because then they have concepts to, to attach those terms to. 
Yes. I don't see anything in the term in the curriculum that says students have to learn the terminology. No. What's your perspective on that, Ian? The teachers um, need to know it. And I think from a computer science point of view, they they need to, but being able to work with repetition is much more important than being able to identify that, it. I think define so. it. Yeah. Although I guess in the read the read and alter, it might be in there, but because you're going to know what it does. Mm-hmm. So that that's a really good point. Like, is it because they they if you can do it and you can put it into a program, you know yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. Resnick and 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 Brennan have a great article, 2012, about you know we want students to be able to use it in a bunch of different circumstances. It's not yeah. memorizing definitions. Having said that, yes, we know that having terminology, having vocabulary can take some of the cognitive load off. So Kathy Bruce once was talking about math vocabulary and thinking of a circle. Yes. We were doing math for young children. I was part of that project. And uh, some kids could, could compose and decompose with shapes and didn't know their names. And the, the conversation was, you know, multiple experiences with circles. But then once they learned the name, that name then re- represents is connected with a whole bunch of properties that we no longer have to deal with separately. So by learning the name, the vocabulary at some point, never the priority when we're starting to code, but learning the name of repetition, conditional, that then encompasses a lot of properties that then let us deal with those concepts talk yes. about those concepts in a more efficient way and efficient yes. don't use efficient no. um not in the computer programming things but no, no. it allows us to deal with it more effectively because yes. uh, it lessens the cognitive load on our brain the coding terms are a little bit uh crisper but still yes. all conditionals are control structures yes so should, we, so should we know them as condition yes are control structures yeah so there's overlap between the concepts yeah and then that that helps i think that understanding that would help the students be able to find the right uh find Mm -hmm. the right commands for them to do so yeah i need to control what's happening here okay let's go and look in the control structures and see what we're doing in there yeah Yeah. so the definition of control structure is something that changes the flow of the program yeah yeah which is really cool Okay. okay. So, so Diane, I know that uh, that in you and your job at Ontario Tech are doing a lot of outreach and doing a lot of uh, things for for like for for teachers. So, could mm-hmm. you run through a couple of the things that you're doing? Yeah. Well, right now we're doing uh, some work for Durham District, where we're bringing in groups of teachers online, and we're taking them through scaffolded challenges. Still thinking. Still focused on creativity and what do you want to do, but enough scaffolding to to get them started. And we have, each group has five or six of our previous students uh, that are amazing so that you can go into online groups and get, get your problems solved right away. You know, if you don't have that kind of support, get a coding buddy so that you can, when you get stuck, talking to someone you'll know things they don't know it's also that pressure to keep yourself coding and learning so we have those activities starting october 26th to december 7th for the written version of this we're going to have a drop-in at online drop-in out to ontario tech so uh, we'll be publishing 
the uh, Zoom link for that shortly so that teachers, if you're stuck with a problem, you can drop in and work with one of our students as well. Our continuous learning department at Ontario Tech runs a course. I will be teaching that in uh, starting mid-October to uh, mid-December, eight weeks, two hours a week. And again, moving through that sequence, learning to code and um, have at least, depending on our numbers, we'll have at least one of our, our former students there to support. So if you're quite knowledgeable, you can start working. You, you will get support pushing your understanding. If you're struggling a little bit, then, uh, or you've just started, you know, there will be activities that, that get, you, get you going. One great thing about coding is I can take the same activity and and share it and people will respond with it differently. So that comparing and contrasting the position of where the variables are. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, that's one that I put in, put with homogeneous groups and, you know, the ones that are just starting to learn the code, they're really looking at each little piece of code. Whereas teachers that have a fair bit of Think they're starting to make more generalizations and they're starting to see, well, what would happen if we did that and extending the code even further and, and thinking about um, thinking about really starting to abstract, yes. you know, what about position? What if I do this? And then start looking for other variables that are embedded in Scratch. Yes. And yeah. there's a whole bunch there yeah. that I didn't even think of as variables but I, as someone with 15 years of experience, 20 years now, I guess, I could see, I would look at the code and I know exactly where the line had to go. So how did I help yeah. my students start to see that? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the neat part that I find is that I'm being more analytical with my teaching now by being more analytical about the code and helping them to find the, the way they do mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. And thinking about and, those questions. Yeah. And so, so also in that course, I understand that, uh, that you, the, your students uh, actually go out in between. So in each week, they're given something to try out in their own classroom. Um, yes, in that course, we do. We, we get encouraged them. And of course, you know, last year was COVID. It wasn't always possible. No. But the more you code, yeah. the better you get. And give them questions to, you know, you, you, how about you try this task with your students? What do they do? Or sometimes they'll do a completely different task. And depending where the students are in the learning curve and um, where the teachers are in their comfort zone, taking the, the activity from the starter code that I've given them and adjusting it a little bit, maybe more scaffolding, maybe yes. less scaffolding so that their students can be successful, but still have that thinking, um, process. So when we were talking about why coding is in the curriculum, the one big thing here, I have big letters on my paper that I didn't talk about. Yes. For me, coding is about learning to think. If yes. you look at uh, the code.org site and, you know, the promotional materials, it's learning to think. Uh, there's a quote uh, in a slideshow that we have that, you know, learning to code is the, the closest thing to a superpower that can be taught. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can do so much, you know, with it. I can yeah. see the picture of the guy standing there with his, I think it's going to say, it's a girl standing there with the cape flowing behind her. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so this idea about thinking, 
this idea about learning how to think and becoming more precise about your thinking. But I don't want to negate the creativity. This is there's a lot of yes. critical thinking here. There's a lot of logic in coding. Yeah. Uh, I just got an email from a student this morning. It says logic can only take you from A to B, but imagination can take you anywhere. And that's by Albert Einstein. Yes, yeah, that's a that's a really great quote. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I know you do something rather interesting to to help along that help that along with your students. So and it, and it's in how you uh, it, like their journals. I know you give them like feedback regularly. Yeah, but but you also do something really well. It's not controversial to me, uh, but it it might be controversial to other people. You want to talk about your grading system. So we use um, ungrading. Uh, so basically the students, um, they get feedback to start with, but as they move along, as they learn more about the expectations and what's expected of them, they, at the end, they are just proposing a grade and justifying it. Yes. And it has worked out really, really well that um, they, they started to take ownership so what they're doing is more about their learning. They can talk about their learning. Uh, the whole portfolio uh, assignment allows them to focus on their learning, not trying to keep up with a teacher mate's schedule. And I have often many students say that um, that is what allowed them to be successful when they were just beginning and so scared and nervous and couldn't figure out what to do. That starting where they were and being able to move forward and, and, covering everything that's in that elementary curriculum by the end yes. of the course, but they yeah. needed more time at the beginning to get yes. there. So and they propose uh, their mark and justify it. Most of them are pretty bang on by the end of the course because they've had feedback. Yes, There's a few that say, I want an A plus because I want an A plus. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't cut it. Yeah. So, and then there's often some that see everything they still have to learn. And are judging themselves too harshly for a beginning course, but yes. the ungrading is is very has been very successful yeah. for this course, and I'm trying to pull it into other courses now. So what what basically uh, that gets at is something that we we as teachers tend not to do as much, which is you know assessment as learning. Mm -hmm. So that's a true assessment as learning um, setting that you've you've created for your students. Uh, yes. And, you know, with that, it's a it's a writing to learn activity. Yes, that's important. Yes. Too. So spelling and grammar don't matter unless they affect how understandable it is. So yes. it does have some impact. But the reflection seems to be really important with our teachers to help them think about help them think about what they're doing. So it's just not mindless exploring. Mm -hmm. So they have to keep reflecting back to the, the curriculum, back to pedagogy back to what can we use the code to help us learn? Yes. You know, in math, that, that whole problem solving with immediate feedback, the coordinate system in uh, Scratch Junior and Scratch, mm -hmm. the idea of position, uh, equalities, uh, what oh, does yeah. it mean to be equal? Um, yeah. Or even inequalities come up a yeah. lot too. Transformations, there's transformations throughout it. If I want my character to look the other way, what kind of transformation is that? What yes. do we have to do? So all of that's intuitive. And then we want to connect that. We can use coding to explore these concepts. And we can also connect the stuff that's going in the background. Because even to tell a story, 
in scratch or scratch junior, you have to be thinking about position. You have to be thinking about um, magnitude. You have to be talking, thinking about, you know, transformations, you know, where do I want him to get? You know, if I want him to look, be smaller at the back of the screen when he moves up, yes, I really want him to absolutely. look like he's moving yes. depth into the screen. Yes. So, so all of these intuitive understandings that are so important for formal mathematics. Oh, absolutely, and 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 I'm afraid I, I quote you a lot uh, to so to our to beginning teachers and to and to uh, in service teachers as well, saying like, yes, they may be coding a game, but don't worry, the math will come out. Mm-hmm. Be patient. Yes. yes, yes, it's it's always in there. Yeah, and there's some really good uh, research coming out now about the math that's being learned uh, in coding. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, but as teachers, we also want to help students see it. Yes. As our pre-service teachers start coding, they don't always see the math to start with, even though I'm seeing it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, great activity we did two weeks ago in my class is the pre-service teachers in small groups generated lists of all the math they had used. Okay. And they're basically going, whoa, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. But so, again, so us as teachers, we have to help our students see what that math is. And again, when we go to talk about the, um, you know, four quadrant coordinate system. Yes. Remember in Scratch? That's what it is. Yeah. And students develop such great intuitive understandings of coordinates. Oh, yes. In Scratch. Yeah. Because it's how, how you position everything. Yes. Yeah. So their spatial awareness is like much more sophisticated mm-hmm. than, or even the youngest kids can have very sophisticated spatial awareness and we, and we mm-hmm. don't give credit to, to how much they can learn. Yeah. Write that one the whole here. idea of data and um, moving, you know, what does that grade eight expectation looking, looking at? And yes. there's two ways to think about it. We have data as a computer science concept, which is all about using variables and a specific type of variable called a list, which allows you to yes. organize all of that. That's data. Yes. So if you're doing choose my own adventure, um, if you're doing code poetry, you're using data. And yes. then there's this great, great um, use of things like microbits, which hopefully will be another conversation, uh, robots be, yeah. to collect data. Yes. And then we can, students can do their own authentic science. Maybe that's my stale conversation. Um, yeah. well, <laughs> they and, and, can collect data and yeah. analyze it based on their questions. And, and it, that's what we're doing with our IS yeah, coding and that, course. And that's, that's really, um, it, it's such a really good expression of what STEM should be. Mm-hmm. In, that, exactly. in that, like the mathematics is really good. The, mm-hmm. the, the engineering and the technology is really good too. And like we're discovering science by it. So I, I, mm-hmm. I personally love microbits. I'm just going to ask, where should I start? And I'm going to answer that just because I'm developing very okay. strong feelings about that. Okay. I have been starting with code.org for about an hour. And it's not complete programming, it's lessons. And, but what it is really nice is because there's scaffold challenges, they're thinking. It's not, tutorials have a place, but they should not be the bulk of our instruction. You know, if I need to learn something, I'll go look at a tutorial, but we need to give them lots of opportunities to to think and solve their own problems, create their own representations. The code.org lessons provide thinking, uh, not their own, not students' students' choice, but with pre-service teachers, 
that provides, I'm finding that first hour there provides student teachers um, a sense of what coding is. And then yes. we, when we move into Scratch Junior or Scratch, they can then focus on the environment and how things work without, without having to think about what am I trying to do here? Because there's yes. so many things they have to learn when they start to code. Yes. That we have to be aware, you know, they have to figure out coding is a sequence of instructions to solve a problem, you know, and that hour spent in code.org has really helped the next rest of my course go really smoothly because now they have a sense of what they're trying to do. And then we bring them in a, into a problem with some scaffolded challenges where yeah. I'm giving them some ideas of what they need to get do to get started. Yes. And then they can learn all the tools. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like a pool. You don't throw people in at the deep end. You, yes. you get them, you get them playing in the shallow end first. Yeah. Give them some water wings, give them those scaffold challenges where they still have yeah. lots of openings to explore. And then, uh, you know, let them go if they completely go in a different direction and they're yes. coding as long as appropriate for school, let them go. <laughs> so they, I'd really like to thank you for your time, Diane. And uh, on behalf of the, on behalf of the, so the magazine and all the readers. Um, thanks very much. Okay. Coding in the Classroom is written and produced by Beza Cesar and Ian Brody for the OAME Gazette. The editor for the Gazette is Tim Sibald. Thank you for to Upbeat and Sound Roll for the theme music.